This is Lead with a Question. You know, it was challenging to try to bring together all the teams, particularly in a newsroom environment. There's a lot of politics and the newsroom business divide is real. But it was so it was challenging, you know, to get journalists on board, the other people on board. There's a lot of trust that had to be built. You know, I guess it would have been convenient if I had been able to say, we're going to do this and like decree it and make it so. Um, it was almost better that we couldn't because it required us to convert people one at a time, uh, one team at a time, one person at a time. Hi, I'm Rob Callen. We live in a time when people are seeing that the old way of doing business is broken and that leading into the future requires something new, a deeper focus on humanity, the courage to let go of power and ego, a desire to nurture the conditions for co-creation, and the bravery not to have all the answers. On this show, I, along with my friends Chris Deaver and Ian Clausen, connect with guests who embody these principles. And whether household names or not, they've shattered the status quo, often as misfits, to shape the future with others and achieve miraculous things in work and life. Mary Ann Rodmacher wrote that your responsibility is to be an explorer, not a tourist, in this adventure that is your life. Our guest today took up that challenge from the time he was a kid, dreaming of robots, searching for community, and as he got older, discovering and amplifying stories that matter at one of the biggest news agencies in the world. His professional expeditions have been so varied that his very impressive career resists categorization. So instead, we'll lean in as he parts the curtain and we jointly consider the question, what makes a career meaningful? A conversation with Clint Schaff, producer and founder of LA Times Studios on this episode of Lead with a Question. You know, maybe what's different about me versus some of the classic disruptors that we sort of canonize or lionize is that um, I try to you know, make change in a way that isn't very disruptive, actually, you know, like I find myself as a very uh, friendly collegial disruptor. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe that's maybe that's why I haven't had like some, you know, billion dollar exit from any of the things I've done. Um, but uh, it's also why I've been able to do it in a lot of different spaces, because it's always kind of in a service oriented way and um, in a way that gets along and meets people where they're already at. Um, and so I, I'm proud of that, but, um, yeah, so, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a little scoop y'all. I, I, um, I was born and raised in Mandan, North Dakota, and that's really where I experienced a little bit of challenge that has fueled sort of some principles that have informed all the different twists and turns in my work. I grew up on a, a, a small farm. I wouldn't say it's a working farm. My, my father sold, um, tractors and combines for a living and we, um, and I grew up, there were about maybe, I don't know, six or seven households within a mile of mine. And they were all related to one or the other families. And but bullied is probably not the right word, but maybe like left out or is how I felt. I felt uh, othered by those other groups. And I didn't like that feeling. So it was 
basically early on i learned why well, I, I don't like that feeling so i'm always going to try to do things that um that put me in a position where i'll always have networks around me and i'll always know someone in the room i could be in jakarta and i'm gonna find i'm gonna be one step removed i'm a i'm a linkedin or a facebook search away from connecting with someone and and that's why i join a lot of things and that, that all came, and that all started um when i was a little kid i wrote uh, i drew a picture of a robot that appeared in the Bismarck Tribune. It was the paper of record in North Dakota. And everywhere I went around town, people were like, I love that robot. That was great. <laughs> and I really liked that feeling. And so while I've done, you know, a dozen different jobs and, and a few different career paths, um, it's all been about, you know, I guess my own somewhat selfish uh, self-care desire to see, to get that feeling again. And also, and more from a service perspective, it's about helping other people feel that feeling that I felt and, and continue to have the opportunity to feel, right? So making sure that at a minimum, nobody never feels that feeling because how, how sad would that feel, you know? And, um, and ideally, everyone feels that from time to time. And so through that, whether that's through media storytelling, um, work that I did most recently at Los Angeles Times as a founding employee of LA Times Studios. Um, work I've done in social media. They were all these these different paths have been all over, but they've all been about how do we create content and conversations and community, um, generally through the creation of compelling assets that drive those conversations. Um, and the values that kind of inform that. It's sort of funny. I grew up in North Dakota not exactly a hotbed of hip hop culture, but, um, I got really into hip hop as a young kid. Uh, and like, uh, you know, I'm 44 years old now. And at age eight, my cousin and I made a full length hip hop album, which uncommon for our region. And, um, the hip hop that was popular at the time, um, you know, the old school stuff was uh, rooted in a community called the Zulu nation. Uh, if you, if anyone wants to Google, it, it's pretty interesting, but, um, the funding values of that community were peace, unity, love, and having fun. There's a really uh, important song where James Brown actually does the hook on it. Peace, unity, love, and having fun. And I feel like those are the first outside of the church that I grew up in. Those are the first values I was really exposed to. And the first ones that I chose, um, and those are sort of the values that still inform what I do now. So the community work, um, trying to combat loneliness and isolation, the idea of, ha of just having fun. And maybe we can address serious issues, but we're going to be able to move the needle better if we're doing it in a fun way that's engaging or even novel. And then the idea of uh, the work we do being oriented for service and doing good and repairing things that are broken in the world and, and with a friendly, a friendly bent to it. So that's... Those are some of the principles and values I try to bring to the work. Yeah, I, a, few, a few things stand out from what you shared, you know, about, uh, and I think we, you know, a lot of people can relate to that feeling of, you know, you, you described, you know, growing up and, you know, kind of feeling like the other. And, you know, some people describe this as the feeling of being a misfit, right? And, 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 it's, and, and in a sense, in a real sense, we all experience some version of that, right? As, as just the fact that we have an original voice and it's different than others. Um, and I love what you shared too about, uh, you know, your core, the element of service and, you know, kind of making others the mission, right. That and we, we believe there's power in that and it, it moves the world forward. Um, and so, yeah, I, that's, and then I, 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 it's interesting, right. Because, you know, 
being kind of othered, some people could react to that and say, well, you know, Hey, I'll just kind of do my thing and feel isolated. But rather than that, you took it into this world of like, well, I'm going to stay, I'm going to be more connected than ever. Right. And you know, what, what an approach, um, that's yeah, that, that people can, can learn from. Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to know if any of your music is up on like SoundCloud right now, because (laughs) I would love to sample your hip hop. Well, not my childhood raps, but the, uh, you know, I do, uh, I do, uh, I rapped and sang my vows to my wife when we got married, uh, about six years ago. Yeah. Six (laughs) years ago. And, um, so I've, how did she take that by the way? She loved it. Yeah. I did a costume change. (laughs) I changed it to a gold tux uh, from the, from the, from the front. And, um, I, I, I did it to the tune of Bobby Brown, every little step. And, uh, it was, it was, but it's ever since I typically do like an anniversary song for her. And it's, those are actually on SoundCloud. That's great. <laughs> uh, but I actually do, oh I, I, one of my, this is maybe a kind of a tangent, but maybe relevant. Right. Um, I recently moved to Arkansas after 20 years in California or r- nearly 20 years. And one of, one of the things I do out here and I don't get paid to do it is I do a weekly hip hop show on the local radio station. Um, oh, no way. And it just in service to it's just my way of paying back a culture that did a lot to me for me. And, um, it's fun and it's actually become this really awesome connecting point, even more so than my professional connection points and accolades and stuff, because the hip hop show, I tend to highlight community events, um, exhibits that are coming to the, uh, we have two really beautiful museums here in town. And I tend to like, promote those things with guests. And then we talk about hip hop, but it's actually been a better network builder and everything than any of my tangible, you know, my, my graduate degree and all that stuff. Blah. But it's more fun to have this like non-professional connection point that, um, that I guess creates that connective tissue with folks. So that's sort of just my approach in general is to like, um, you know, they say, you know, some people say don't mix business and pleasure. I, I mix it all up. I just feel like it's all right. It's all, it's all about uh, service and contribution and having fun. Uh, you know, I have my bad days too, but um, generally it's about like, let's just say yes to things that sound interesting. And then sometimes we connect how it's relevant to making money or making an impact after the fact. And sometimes it doesn't and that's okay too. That, that's sort of how I try yeah. to approach it. But yeah, so I have some mixes up there. I have a, actually, you, you can find the hip hop, uh, my weekly hip hop show on mixcloud.com slash hip hop hello um didn't okay. expect to promote that here but that's 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 something i'm doing <laughs> um yeah and, and it's been fun the, the hip it's been a great uh and honestly as a young person that that was a, that's what allowed me to um second hand learn about the experiences of people whose cultures and backgrounds were different than my own and that's a skill that i was able then to you know t- to some degree uh, apply in journalism and other fields i've worked in having that kind of creative crossover between, you know, what, what you've done with, uh, your work and, and as you said, right, those, those values of having fun, you know, drive, you know, driving towards unity, working together, right. Being brave, you know, kind of working as one, uh, there's so much power in those themes and really, you know, inspiring people with hope to, um, you know, heal and, you know, feel more unified. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I were curious, like, what are some of the, uh, kind of moments that you've, you saw that manifest right in your work and how did you, 
you know, kind of bring, bring those things into fruition with others, right. To make that possible. Yeah, absolutely. So my career has been kind of long and winding. So we've done, um, I'm in my mid forties and I've worked in, I guess, uh, I worked, you know, I've worked for, I'm just a name drop for a second. I've worked for David Bowie, the New York Yankees, the Clinton Gore White House. I worked in advertising marketing for some of the largest firms, including Edelman. Uh, my largest client in those days was Activision. We won a bunch of awards. I worked for the Los Angeles Times and was a founding member of LA Times Studios, which is my most recent kind of high profile work. And well, those are a lot of different things, a lot of different industries covered. And even my roles, it's not like I was the communications director in every one of those jobs or the vice president of communications in every one of those jobs. It, it's My roles have actually shifted, but those values have stayed the same. And, um, you know, I, I happen to be, you know, I, I'm a jack of many trades, hopefully a master of several as well. I don't know. I guess it's for others to judge, but it's, um, what I'm proud of is, the same way I'd like to have uh, for myself and for others to try to drive community where we're all, you know, this kind of rising tide lifts all ships idea or that we're all like better off together by complimenting one another. My set of experiences even do that for myself. So it's not really, I wouldn't call it a community because it's just me in this situation, but I'm like Clint from 2006, Clint from 2009, Clint from 2012, Clint today, all the other Clint's Clint, the, six-year-old rapper wannabe um all those people together it's a pretty interesting cocktail party in my head right and so i'm trying to and i benefit from that the and the ping pong of ideas between those different experiences i've had uh, hopefully that makes sense and so and now when and i and see it's that much more rich when i have that conversation with a, a layered and interesting individuals named, you know, Ian, Chris, and Rob. And how can, you know, all together, we're bigger than the sum. And then if we're all parts of communities, we can bring in, um, through empathy, we can bring in the experience of other people into, into that fold as well. Maybe even bring them literally into the fold. And so that's, that's been the benefit of the different twists and turns in my career. And I, I've tended to make decisions based on um, probably what feels good and just where I think I can make the most impact, what opens up the most opportunities for what might happen next, especially in times of indecision. Like, I, you know, I, I y'all might know, I, I moved to Arkansas recently after nearly 20 years in California and it's a big shift for me. It's, it's, it's wild. Um, I moved for my wife's career. We have a seven month old child. We're building a house. It's going to be ready in 60 days. Like it's a year of amazing wild change. Um, I could be paralyzed by that. And I can say I, I'm, I, maybe I am at times to be honest, but um, generally I'm trying to say, all right, well, there's all this change is making new I, synapses <laughs> explode in my, in my own self and in the networks around me. And there's opportunities to create great change, you know, as a new dad and y'all might be dads too. I'm not sure. I, I've, I have found, I admit, so I, I had dinner with three dads last night. One of the guys who's one of the largest, uh, kind of like a founding father of the gravel bike racing scene. And he started, he and his wife started this race when they became new parents. Another guy, he and his wife created a, a great bookstore in town when they became new parents. It seems like there's an interesting thing with this new time burden of having a child. 
creates other forms of creativity with those individuals. And I experience the same thing. So I'm always trying to, you know, I'm not going to have a new kid every year of my life. So um, hope to have maybe at least one more, but um, I I look for opportunities to create those sort of um, energy creating situations, right. And, and, and managed change um, so that I can continue to grow and continue to make new types of impact. Yeah. And that's, that's so fascinating because I've never noticed or, you know, heard it articulated that way where, you know, you have this, it's, it's the ultimate kind of co-creative experience, right? Bringing a new child in the world uh, to be able to chart a new frontier. And, but it's kind of that muscle member, that rhythm, right? That you're in of creating something new and something special. But I, I guess I'm curious, like, what would you say to those folks too, that are, wondering how, how do they lean into the change in their lives? How do they lean into, you know, uh, yeah, to move, moving forward, right. And with all the, you know, maybe disruption they've experienced. Well, I'm going to give you what I, how I actually approach it, but I, I also think there's limitations in how I approach it. So I, I'll, I'll share that too. What I tend to do is, uh, well, one, I, I get better like anything. I get better at, responding to change or initiating change, the more of it I do, right? It's like practicing. You know, if I, if I want to get good at um, shooting hoops, I should just shoot more. I should practice in the gym more, shooting more shots, right? So uh, if I just enact more changes, I'm going to be better. So like, this is a silly example. I don't, I'm not particularly physically fit, but I need to be, and I need to be exercising. So a thing I decided to do last time, you know, when I was a kid, I was really fixed. I was in all these sports. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll do that as an adult. So in my forties, I'll, I'll do seasonal, seasonal sports the same way I did. I'll play basketball for three months. I'll play tennis for three months. You know, cause that, that's like a lot of frequent change, right. Versus the, there's nothing wrong with this, but like what a lot of people do is like, I'm a marathoner. That's part of my ID. I'm going to have it on my, wear that badge on my sleeve. I'm going to buy all the gear. I'm gonna, that's going to be my fraternity as an adult. I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to mix it up. I think that'll be more fun. My excitement about change increases the more I do it. I tend to look for change with this rubric in mind. I, I tend to say of all the things that interest me, which are subjectively interesting, you know, um, compelling options ahead of me, which one is sort of the safe one and like which one is going to open up more opportunities, which one is not going to be a dead end, which one's going to be a network building opportunity. And then I go after that one. And so that's served me really well. It's, it's made me the person I am today. I'm, I'm very proud of it. The limitation of it is that there's diff- definitely different times where there was maybe something that wasn't as safe. That was actually the, you know, this is, this is the brave core studio that I'm in it, the braver choice that might've had more upside or maybe more impact, but maybe more risk involved. And I avoided making that choice. Um, you know, that's, that's me being self-aware about that. And maybe now that I'm, you know, we're more financially, you know, I'm a financially stable adult and all that stuff, maybe it's time to, to take the training wheels off and, and to take a little bit more bold change. But, um, yeah, so that's how I've been able to take to, initiate and adapt to with a smile adapt to so much uh, frequent change so many times clinton in, in terms of self-imposed change um do you have a personal line um with in you know with the benefit of experience where now you would say that's too much risk yeah i mean well to be honest i i don't think i've ever taken a risk that was so risky like I said, I've, I tended to choose the safe route of the interesting options. And so, you know, some of the things like 
just to name drop, you know, my career, I've worked for David Bowie, the New York Yankees, the Clinton Gore White House, the more recently LA Times Studios as a founding employee of, of that group at the LA Times. You know, when I left the agency world, I was running an agency uh, for a, a, at that time, Canadian old holding company and really having a great life. I left to go to the LA Times because it was mission driven and connected to my early passion for journalism. Well, that was a risky move to go. You're going to go work at a newspaper. You're already, you know, you're kingdom king of industry. You won Grand Effie Award, all this stuff, you know. And it, but was it risky? You know, it's the LA Times, right? It's a brand. It's a strong brand name. Um, everyone relates to it. Um, expectations were not high that we were going to create transformative change there. So if I have any success, it's going to be well received. So that's, that's basically that I mean, I'm being honest here about like, I'm taking risks, but they've all been measured in kind of thinking through what's the worst case scenario of this risk and what's the best case scenario. And I tend to avoid things that have a low, that the, the risky side isn't actually that risky. Even if it doesn't work out, I'm going to come out ahead and, you know, ABC way. Um, that's, that's, that's sort of how I, uh, how I approach that work right now. So, I mean, it, maybe the LA times work is an interesting one to, to expand on a little bit more. Um, I, that was a big risk to take that job. The, the truth is a, a friend of mine, um, was leaving that company, uh, that firm and, and, uh, the times was sad to see her go. And they said, we need more people like you. Who do we need to talk to? She referred them to me. And so, I start with the LA Times. My title is VP of Strategy and Development, whatever that means. Um, I was business side leader, not at, not in the newsroom. The the center of energy in a newsroom, a newspaper is in the newsroom. I wasn't in that. And my job was like figure out how you're gonna plug the hole in the dam because we are not making money, right? This is a, this is a this is a bad business model. Um, you know, for those who aren't familiar, like Google and Facebook and, and that kind of advertising has really dried up the revenue for newspapers. And it's, uh, so their, their model has been disrupted greatly. And I was like, okay, that sounds like an exciting challenge, but I didn't come in with like a golden idea of how we were going to do that. You know? So literally on the first day, um, I had one month between jobs and I did the Seth Godin alt MBA program. And one of the exercises in that alt MBA program was to like, like rapid business idea generation. So I, I did a modified version of that. And I, I did came up with 99 business ideas on my first day. My first day, I didn't, I had no idea what I was supposed to do. Like I didn't, I didn't, I don't even know if I had a computer, like my boss was out of town or something. It was just like a, not a good onboarding experience. I was like, well, I gotta do something. So I came with 99 business ideas and like, you know, number 37 of the 99 was let's create long form podcasts out of uh, premium narrative journalism, something to that effect. And that, I mean, we were, I'm sure there were many people already looking into podcasts. So I don't want to claim all the credit, but that, 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 you know, that idea became the kernel of LA Times Studios, which created Dirty John the podcast, Dirty John the television shows, several other hit podcasts. Um, and there were a bunch of other random ideas in there. You know, I had a storytelling festival idea that we launched called New Story that um, at a zero dollar budget, I booked like major stars to come do storytelling uh, at the LA Times Festival books and, you know, and on and on and on. But those were it was just fun to introduce some of those innovation ideas and, and things that, you know, probably the likes of all of us are familiar with from listening to podcasts and working at innovative companies and stuff and to bring that into the relatively you know, old school environment of a newspaper. So I'm really proud of that work. Um, and it, and it's, and honestly, it's remind on a, on a 
self-gratifying note or a, a, I guess, more selfish note. It's like, oh, this works. Like this worked here. So then I can do this in my own life. Because if I worked here where there's so much inertia or there's so much status quo and there's so much like inertia in in another direction and we were able to kind of turn the Titanic around and do something different in these few areas, well, then in my own life where I'm much more nimble, um, I should be able to make change, substantial changes as well. Love that. Well, and you described yourself kind of as a as a disruptor, but maybe in a less kind of disruptive way as as we're used to hearing about. So as you approached that work with the L.A. Times, what what sources did you look to? What um, what support system was particularly helpful to you as you went about the idea of trying to sort of seed this new idea of of building up a studio within the L.A. Times? Yeah, I mean, first of all, big props to you know my then boss uh, Chris Arcanteri. He's really the, the primary innovator of LA Times Studios, and so he deserves that credit. But the um, so working with him, that was, a, and then I had a young woman who worked for me at the time, Camila Victoriano. She's amazing. She's actually a really successful entrepreneur now. She since has launched a podcast network called Sonoro, and they're just killing it. Um, so she's she's really amazing. So that that was we were really the trio that um, we supported each other, and then when you're a small team, you know there's challenges, right? If we had if we had 15 people under us or or more, 100, then then there'd be all this pressure to to have an amazing plan, execute it flawlessly, and drive record profit or you know whatever. Um, we're really like kind of a small skunk works type endeavor. The pressure wasn't quite as high. And, uh, and it, so that was, that was one, uh, enabler of creativity and change. And another was, um, you know, it was challenging to try to bring together all the teams, particularly in a newsroom environment. There's a lot of politics and the newsroom business divide is real. It's, it's, it is, by the way, it's there for a good reason. Cause you want to keep your journalism untainted by business interests. Um, that's the difference between real newspapers like the LA times and, you know, actual fake news, but it was so challenging, you know, to get journalists on board, the other people on board, there's a lot of trust that had to be built. Um, a lot of like change management type stuff, but, but I think but overall it, it the, the change is more sustainable if it is, um, if all that work is done up front rather than like, you know, I guess it would have been convenient if I had been able to say, we're going to do this and like decree it and make it. So, um, it was almost better that we couldn't because it required us to, to, convert people one at a time, uh, one team at a time, one person at a time. Um, other ways I did that, you know, I, I created this, uh, kind of brainstorming method. Um, it's actually, uh, written out in a book called no more meetings that my friend Mike Bonifer wrote, but I, they were called campfires. And, um, I had these sort of ideation sessions where, um, we literally eat s'mores. So that was like a fun element. Um, and then I had all this, these, uh, campfire analogies there was like the kindling the uh the burning fire all these things that we put all we come up with as many ideas as we could with these different prompts that were all sort of campfire themed and then look for commonalities in those prompts and then those ideas had some energy and then we'd come up with next steps on how to explore those further but that would i would tr- i would tend to try to invite people to participate in that who had never been invited to anything like that before people who were kind of low status in the organization um etc um I, I stole that idea kind of from another agency. I was not involved with this firsthand, but a friend of mine um, worked at a advertising agency whose client 
um, I won't name the client probably, but um, the client was uh, kind of working on off-road adventure vehicles for a campaign and they couldn't come up with any good ideas to promote it. Um, you know, it was really the client wasn't happy or whatever, as I understand it. And so they were in this like fishbowl meeting room, figuring it out. And like the, the lowest status person in the room, an intern, the front desk person or somebody goes to the restroom, comes back, couldn't get in the door. It was locked. And then they saw while they were waiting to get in, they saw the, um, the pole in case of a, of a fire thing, you know, the, the, the what you do if, if there's smoke or something. And sitting there staring at it, waiting to get into this room, said, huh, that's an idea. Got into the room. They said, oh, where have you been? I go, oh, I couldn't get in. And, and then they, well, do you have any ideas while you're out there? And, and the person said, yeah, in case of adventure, break glass. And then they put these vehicles out in public spaces and covered them in glass. And that was the winning campaign. So like that, that, that person has to be invited to the table has to and then and then honestly it was like that wasn't an intentional game in this person's case but the game of like you know what we're gonna stick you on the hallway and then with the meager resources that are available to you three foot outside of the three feet outside of the conference room what's the best idea you can come up with and that's an interesting game right um and it worked out so I, i tried to you know my campfire games were an attempt at doing that the la 10 studios I'm always trying to do that. I, I I always try to apply that kind of improv language of game to um, coming up with ideas. Those are such cool examples. And it almost sounds like there's a theme there of constraints can actually be an accelerator for good ideas and innovation. Because, you know, you had a skeleton crew for LA Times Studios, you know, the example of the person just sort of standing out in the hall and that's so inspiring because I think a lot of the time people feel like, well, I don't have, you know, a big budget. I don't have a big team to help push this forward. But it it kind of seems like, at least with the LA Times, it was, you know, you, you kind of had this smaller group and maybe you could do some things that you wouldn't have otherwise done with a little less scrutiny. Yeah, I think the combination. Thank you for that. Yeah, I met Mike. I'm again. I'm I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. My my good friend Mike Bonifer, who I mentioned earlier, he he says that a game is defined by ergo, the environment, roles, guidelines, and objectives. And as long as you can tweak any of those, you'll get to different results. So, like game of basketball, it's clear what the environment, the roles, the guidelines, and objectives are. If the if you change one thing, like adding the three point line, it completely changes the whole game. Right. And then years later, you got guys shooting half court threes, which was not part of the game when it first started. Right. So we can apply that same sort of thinking to any game, any, any game we're living in. Like we're in a game right now on this podcast. The game is we're on a, we're on a platform. We could see each other, whatever. If one of us wanted to, we can mess the whole thing up. I could decide to sing the rest of this interview. It would be weird. But, you know, it might be magical. I don't know, you know, like it would change. It would certainly change the roles. And there's also this, you know, this unsaid rule that like I'm the guest. So y'all are kind of asking me questions and I'm like, you know, I could I could flip it on its head as as one of you invited me to earlier. And I could just start asking you all questions. That would be interesting. Right. Um, so in any environment, we can get to different results by trying to tweak an element of the game. Um, uh, my friend Mike and I did a, a consulting project for the state, uh, Southern Indiana for a, a development company there. And we were trying to help them kind of bolster their economy, come up with cool ideas to track tourism and uh, new uh, migration to the area. 
And, you know, we could, we could have a focus group. We could, we, we, what we did instead was, um, basketball is really popular in Indiana. So we tapped into that narrative. We did a March Madness tournament of ideas of 64 ideas. We, so we, we had, we, we collected and came up with, you know, hundreds of ideas to bolster the region. We had a selection committee of influence, influential people in the region, pick the best 64 and rank them in some way. And then we had a tournament through an SMS based platform. You could, you pick, you chose between, you know, RVs and, and state parks uh, being available to rent versus creating a feature film or whatever. I can't remember what the, what all the competitors were, but like, and then they moved through a thing and it didn't really, the funny thing is we created this game to drive economic development. It doesn't matter who won the tournament. That wasn't really the point. The point was that, hundreds of people in the region and, and a few outside of the region who have a stake in it all were on the same side of the table, ranking and thinking and talking about these ideas and banding them about together without a vested financial interest in any of their outcomes. That was a huge thing for the region, right? So five years from now, there's going to be some cool amusement park there or something like that. And it's going to have come from that collaboration, that change in game structure that, that is going to drive that change there. And so, you know, I, I love creating those kind of, you know, for lack of a better phrase, games um, that can create substantial change. That That is incredible, that whole experience. You know, that in itself is a co-creative project, right? It, it brings people together. People are creating together. A lot of folks aren't used to that. They guard their ideas. You know, they're divided on ideologies. Um, what's interesting is this gamification concept, right? You know, you have a history of creating content, right? And in, in the brave core world of material, we, we call um, one of our principles, create context, which is actually that last experience you just described. It, I think is a great example of creating context. It's like not just the bells and whistles of an ad campaign, but you know, something that's going to drive meaning together with others. Um, you know, going back to your LA time days, you know, I have two questions for you. One is what is your favorite creative project that turned into a product? And then second, what was your biggest business challenge that you faced there? Well, uh, my favorite creative project there. I mean, the most successful ones were a couple of these giant flagship podcasts. Dirty John was a was a, a monster success, you know, big respect to Christopher Goffer, the journalist and to Wondery, who was our um, podcast partner on that. Um, Wondery, of course, had a giant exit to Amazon and it's largely based on what they did with us on Dirty John. So we're all really proud of their success. Um, and, and then we continued to make out a, a bunch of other big hits, um, a bunch of narrative series, some great interview shows. Um, but the one I'm most proud of actually is a pretty small one. Um, and it was, I, I mentioned it earlier, but I created a uh, storytelling festival called New Story. And so we have, a, the LA Times has a longstanding, it's something like 25, 30 years running um, book festival called the LA Times Festival of Books. I believe it's the largest literary event in the world, believe it or not, is in Los Angeles. You know, it has a bad rap for not being a literary town, but it, it in fact does. And um we, you know, big authors come there. My guess is what most of the time big authors come there to promote their books, their publisher pays for their travel. We certainly aren't. And then, um, they're in conversation with editors. There's 20, you know, there's a dozen, a dozen stages featuring different types of content. It's great. Um, books are, but 
in 2020 or 2019, whenever we started doing the My Festival, you know, there's an understanding that books are amazing. It's not the only way that people are telling stories. People are telling stories through, you know, other longstanding areas like music, film, um, et cetera. But then, and then new kind of cool stuff, augmented reality, virtual reality, mixed reality, um, you know, all, all just unlimited kinds of wild things, te- haptic technology, all this cool stuff. So we created a playground to celebrate and showcase a lot of that storytelling alongside the books. And the idea is that both would benefit. The books would, and some of the really cool book projects that are out there do incorporate new forms of storytelling. And um, and a lot of the cool groovy new stuff is the narrative is the original source material is from a book. Um, so it's a celebration of both. And with like, really no money to book anybody. You know, I had, I'm really into hip hop. So we had Karis one and, um, Z trip is a big DJ. We had, um, we had like famous singer songwriters. I mean, it was just the greatest, like it was the festival I want to go to. And it was free. It was open to the public and thousands of kids who live in, you know, South Los Angeles had the opportunity to go to a free festival and try a VR headset for the first time to meet, um, trailblazers in those industries and i'm i have no doubt that the there'll be decades of impact from the couple years that we did that festival prior to covid um that like you know the the next spielbergian storyteller in some of these new um areas will have first been exposed to that at the la towns festival books new story stages that i curated and i'm really proud of that you know um, and I was able to do that without a lot of newsroom participation because because it was business led, the newsroom couldn't participate. It's kind of the church and state thing that we have. Um, and so, anyway, I was really really proud of that work. Um, the biz, back to your business challenge question, needing more revenue to come in because our expenses stayed the same. You know, the, the operations of a printing press don't go, those costs are pretty fixed. Um, so that's my understanding. That's the challenge is like less revenue is coming in, but our costs are fixed. Any organization needs to be able to think differently and get over their fear of trying different things and change in order to get to different results. And especially when you have us for any entity that has decades of success, I think at that time, LA Times 134 years old. It's probably more like closer to 140 now. And, um, you know, gosh, there's such a legacy there, right? And, um, and so it's really challenging to try to do anything to disrupt that. And I, gosh, I don't want to be the one who ruins it, you know? Um, so I could, I shared that fear. So I'm, I'm proud that I was able to prove out to all areas of the organization, including the business side, that with a relatively small investment, like just a couple of heads and a couple of computers, we were able to do some things that were cash positive and that um, expanded the aperture of what the LA Times is capable of and could create. The frugal innovation that we were able to do, um, I think, perhaps foreshadowed a path forward on how to how to how to make some low risk bets that might illuminate where they should go. Right. Um, thank you for sharing all that um, fascinating, you know, journey at LA Times and the innovation you guys were able to create. It seems like creation is the solution, right? To, to think differently, to be differently. Um, you know, it sounds like you've had this very rich and rewarding kind of pathway, you know, outside of, you know, all the things that you've done and the things that you're currently doing, 
at the back of your head and your heart, what is, what is something that remains unfulfilled for you in your journey? Oh, great question. Um, I think that I can make a bigger impact if I could focus a little bit more on making a lasting impact in a smaller number of areas. And so, I mean, just to get into my personal life a little bit, my wife's really killing it professionally. And that's why we live here in Arkansas. And so it's, it's a weird time in my life to, um, no longer be the higher earner in our couple in our household and to be away from the community that I work so hard to develop in my geographic community. And, you know, there's all these, those are challenges, but they're also really liberating. It's like, I really could, in my next chapter, I could pretty much do anything I want to do. Like, uh, and that's such a privileged position to be in. Um, and so now I, you know, what I'm dabbling with is, uh, the word fixin', um, fixin' the Southern slang for the intent to do something like I'm fixing to paint the fence, but also fixing as in fixing things that are broken. And so, uh, creating media that's all about celebrating the, like, uh, continues to shed a light on important issues that are challenging in our, in our, in our world, um, like the newspaper did, but maybe with a different frame, less about like, look at this car crash, but rather let's celebrate the person who saved the person from the car crash. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, let's, let's celebrate the heroes amongst us. Um, so that we can actually be inspired by it and not demotivated by it. Um, I think that's one of the challenges with a lot of news related content right now. It's just, it's pretty hard to take in. Um, and it, it isn't fun <laughs> often and, or, or inspiring all the time. So that's, that's might be where my next chapter is. Um, but whatever it is, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm, whatever it is, I'm going to continue to have this, um, I guess, you know, on a bad day, scattered on a good day, improvisational approach to exploring it. You know, I, I, I still think that's the way I, I um, I'm actually going in my mind as I, I, you know, I'm pretty busy with this campaign work right now, but um, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about what I might do next. And, you know, I might, I might drop like a pop-up zine to test out an idea and just see if anyone, like if it's a buzz around the community, then maybe that tells me something. Um, and, and so that'll be fun. You know, trying to, the, the stuff I would have done, you know, again, we were talking about the, the different chapters in our lives and, and that, that, that set of voices in my head, what would 19 year old me do? Cause 19 year old me started a magazine in college and it was pretty successful. Um, I have more resources now. So how do I keep that same, uh, I don't know, better entrepreneurial risky mindset I had when I was 19. Kind of scrappiness. Yeah. So I'm going to bring it back and see what happens. Run it back again. Yeah. Well, and and Tina's point earlier with the context, right. Uh, That, you know, based on all your experiences that you've had, like, I I think there's an interesting, I mean, you know, you said it about kind of the news and, this is true of what happens with stories in general, right? It's like it kind of, sometimes it just gravitates toward, towards a lower denominator and people are kind of in this, let's say the muck of, you know, or the, the, the struggle of the loss, right. Of like what, what went wrong, right. Kind of that negative side. And that's, and that's in human nature reinforces this, right. Studies have shown 80% of what people are seeing or viewing is, or trying to uh, interpret, right. Or is, can be negative. And it's more of a fight or flight mechanism. It's, it's defense, right. From our, 
earlier days uh, as as humans. But you know, there's so much power in in the gains, right? And seeing the inspiration that's all around us. And so there's probably you know we found there's a huge and you, I'm sure you've seen it, experienced it too. There's a huge appetite for inspiration, and uh, and then if then if it's a question of framing and how that story gets shared, um, you know, yeah, fi- finding a way to communicate or share that, uh, you know, that's, I mean, I, I'm looking forward to what comes next, you know, for you. And, and I mean, I, I, I sign me up for the magazine for the zine and, uh, <laughs> and uh, the stories that are, are going to come out. Cause nice. uh, that sounds awesome. Well, it's interesting too. You were talking about the, thank you for that. It, this, you know, like this in storytelling, we tend to think of uh, storytelling as as linear, A, B, and C. And I know y'all, I know some of the projects you're working on are, are thinking differently about that. Um, one of the forms of storytelling is spiral storytelling. There's several. There's network. There's all these different. I'm not an expert in it, but there's um, spiral storytelling. Is you know, imagine a spiral like a coil. We can choose to flip that spiral to be the thing is facing up or it's facing down, right? Like Clint Schaff, LA movie podcast making USC professor moves to Arkansas, downward spiral story. It, in many people, you know, in, in the mind of Angelinos who are kind of biased against the middle of the country. All right. Well, I can choose to flip that story and say, all right, you know, all kinds of underserved markets here, untapped story for days. Like there's just tons of weird, quirky stuff happening out here that no one knows about because there aren't a bunch of TV producers fishing for story out here. Um, and you know, there's I happen to live the town I happen to live in has to happen to have some of the wealthiest people in the country. There's a lot of resources here. Um, there's like all there's this really positive story to be told. It's never been easier for someone in rural Arkansas to access uh, telehealth services to get help for them and their family. Like, that's not a big juicy headline, so you're not going to see that the cover of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. But that is like a giant story. Like, it's it's really, truly unbelievable. And so, you know, it's on me to, to, to do that now. And can I do that for other people as well? You know, that's that's even more exciting. This episode of Lead with a Question was produced by me, Rob Callen, with support from my co-hosts and BraveCore founders, Chris Deaver and Ian Clausen. The music you heard was composed by Ian as part of another project he's involved in called Moon Machine. Dave Arcade created our podcast cover art. Special thanks to Clint Shaw for the conversation today. We're excited to see what he does next. More info on Clint, including links to his social media, is in the show notes. If you want to learn more about the work we're doing at Brave Core, you can check out our website at bravecore.co. The Lead with a Question podcast is a production of Brave Core LLC. Thanks for being with us.